Hey guys, Jesse here. Apologies, a little hiccup happened at the beginning of this recording and we lost about the first five minutes. Mainly, that's just the introductions, so you didn't miss anything significant. But as you'll hear, we come in during the introduction to real estate investing with uh, Shadow Rents talking about the benefits of investing. From there, though, the conversation is easy to follow. Hope you enjoy. The income you're making. Uh, also, you're getting depreciation, right? So any residential property, you're able to depreciate the value of the home over 27 and a half years. And if I'm not mistaken, commercial properties, I believe are 39 or 40 years. So you're able to take that full value uh, of that property and depreciate it. Um, over that many years to, to help offset that income as well. Um, another tax implication is called a 1031 tax exchange. It gets a little deeper, but uh, I just completed my first one. And basically what that is, is if you own property and decide to sell that property, you can do uh, the, uh, I think it's the tax uh, law 1031, but uh, it's lingo's 1031 tax exchange. And what that is saying that it allows an investor to sell a property and then buy back a similar property, typically more expensive. But by going through this set of rules they put in place for you, you're able to avoid all capital gains tax uh, on that property you're selling. So basically you're able to reinvest every dollar you make back into other properties without paying a single dollar in taxes. And I just completed my first one. I sold three single-family homes in a package deal and bought two duplexes back. I profited about sixty grand uh, off that deal, but I was able to put that sixty grand right back into these other deals and didn't pay a dime of taxes on that. So I assume, Shadow, that's a U.S. federal tax law, ten thirty-one tax exchange. Yes, yes, it is in section ten thirty-one. I just made sure that that is why it's called that. It is in section uh, 1031 of the IRS tax uh, law, and uh, it is for us uh, freedom fighters, not our friends up north. Sorry, Brandon. Do you know? <laughs> do you know? Shadow? Does it apply to anything other than in real estate, or is it like very much a real estate? Property? No, it is. It is a real estate driven uh, tax code. Okay. Interesting. Um, going around the room, I know Shadow has some more topics that he lined up for us, but do you guys have any thoughts or any, anything you want to bounce off of them right now? So let, let me do say that I am not a CPA, but I do believe there are some more tax-efficient guys in the group, and I'd love to hear their thoughts on it. One question I had, it's not about taxes, though, so if anybody has something tax-related, um, I want to get to that first, maybe. I say go for it, Brandon. We can come back to taxes if needed. Cool. Um, so one question I had, Shadow, is how do you think your approach would differ if you were in some other part of the country? Because I know real estate in the South is yeah. So so let me kind of hit yeah. Yeah, kind of my specialty, anyways, because I don't think we hit on that. But my specialty right now and always has been is rural real estate. So I'm talking about small town America. 50,000 people or less. That is where I found my sweet spot. And, and frankly, all my properties are within 20 minutes of my home. So I'm not even remote doing this. I've developed this 24 units, 1.2 million properties uh, portfolio all within 20 minutes of me. So we're all small town America, 50,000 people. And uh, it, it's really where I feel like the most meat is left on the bone uh, for uh, potential investors. So I'm able to purchase a single family home, two to three bedrooms, um, 50 to $55,000 uh, asking price or purchase price for these properties. And I'm able to rent them out for, let's call it 550 to 750 uh, a month. And, and that's where we're leaving that 250 to $350 a month positive cash flow for each unit. So 
currently here, the market's crazy, even in small town America, right? So we're all struggling finding these units. Um, the, the asking prices have went up 30 to 40% from where they were last year. Um, I just flipped a house, made great money off of it just cause the market was hot. It was on the market for three days. Nothing is lasting on the market. So what I've had to do, and I think this goes for larger cities as well, is move to our off market deals. You're not able to find anything right now or not easily where you're going to be able to make a profit from and these off-market deals is is where it's to be had so you're finding properties that aren't listed yet and there's multiple ways to do that and then going to the owners and, and offering to buy that so what you're doing one is you're missing the the real estate agents six to eight percent that they're adding on top for themselves so what a lot of people don't know is when someone wants let's call it a hundred thousand dollars for their home and they want to list it with a real estate agent that real estate agent will ask them what they want for their home and then usually tack their percentage on top of that so let's say it's seven percent they'll add seven thousand dollars on top of that having an asking price of 107 or 115 so when they negotiate it's back down to 107 so that owner still gets exactly what they want in their hand so by going off market, you're missing those real estate charges, saving six to 10% right off the bat. Plus a lot of times those owners who are on off market deals haven't been, um, really had time to look into the market to realize markets up 20, 30, 40% of where it was a year or two ago. So you're able to negotiate a little more normal price just because they're not up on uh, the current markets. So, Every rental I've bought, uh, and I've probably bought four or five this year, uh, we'll call it since you know last 12 months, uh, all of them have been off market. Either they found me, I found them, and uh, the multiple ways to do it, and we can discuss that if we need to. But I think even in larger cities, the only way that you're going to profit in this day and age is, do, is uh, do your due diligence and try to find these off market deals. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know where to start on that, and that, that's just me. If we do come back and talk about that, I'd be interested to learn more about, about how to find those deals, Shadow. Um, but let's let's move forward one step, let's say. So let's say um, we're listening here on the chat. All of us were thinking about getting our first rental home, and then we want to know how to find good tenants or maybe what to look out for when it comes to tenants or just when it comes to maintenance of that one home, how to not lose money. What are your thoughts on, on, on that idea? So I have the best tenant trick in the world, uh, and I don't care to share it with you guys. And this is all in uh, my course. Dude, let me plug my course. Guys, I have a course on Gumroad, Renting Rule America, gum.co slash renting rule. Uh, and I actually have a code for you guys tonight, 50% off. If you use SPACES50, S-P-A-C-E-S-5-0 as a coupon code, there's like six more available. If you want to use those, you can get uh, my course, five-star rated. Everybody loves it. Go grab it. Okay, back to the topic. So when you are looking for a tenant, um, there's software or, or web apps, um, web applications. I use Cozy.co, which is now apartments.com. And uh, it will host your um, listings for you. So um, it's a really just a property management tool system. It'll accept payments. It'll help you list your properties. So really, it's a one-click list. And you're able to list it in like three different locations from that website with one click. Through that website, you're also able to request that possible tenants pay for a background check and credit check, as well as give you their application. And the cool part is, is if you request it, that they have to pay for it. So you're not paying for the credit check. You're not paying for a background check. So you have application in hand. You can check credit score, credit history. You can check um, background check, make sure you're not a felon. So right there is a good, um, a good amount of information, right, to, to build off of. So I get a pile of those in go through them, make sure that income on the application is high enough to, to cover expenses, make sure there's no felonies, make sure credit score doesn't show any 
big dings on it. And from there, I'm calling a few guys in to come look at the property, right? So here is the number one trick that I've never seen anywhere else. That is my bread and butter to make sure I have the best tenants possible. You got to give them a tour of the place, right? So open the door. Here's my unit A. Go look at it. Tell me what you feel. I'm going to give you some privacy and let you and your loved one talk about it. So while they're inside looking at the property, you're outside and you're walking around minding your own business, but you're looking around their car. You're not opening doors. You're just kind of glancing. And you can tell a lot about how a person lives by the floorboards of their car. If they have McDonald's wrappers and you can't see the floor and there's dirty diapers down there and dead bugs, stay away. But if the floor, uh, you know, just has a few leaves and looks kind of all right, that condition of the car is going to tell you a lot about the condition of the house. And it has not failed me once yet. I want to go around the room. I want to know what you guys think of Shadow's Kentucky tenant test. AKA look at the floor of the car. My, they, yeah, yes. Yeah, someone go, someone go, go ahead. Yeah. I think it makes sense actually. Um, like a car is like someone's main other surroundings, I guess. So I, I think it makes sense. It's interesting. I never would have thought of that. Yeah. My question would be shadow. Has anybody walked out or caught you in the middle of this detective work? No, and I'm not making it obvious, right? So they're walking through the house. I'm just kind of walking outside, standing by their car, taking a quick glance. It's not like I'm opening windows, shaking doors, even putting my hands on the glass looking through. I'm just casually glancing. I've never got caught, but I'm not really doing anything too squirrely anyways, just glancing. But, uh, man, I'm telling you, it's not failed me yet. I've not done it a couple times, and it's bit me every time. Uh, so I make sure that I did it every time. And uh, I taught my property managers to do it well now because uh, I don't manage them anymore. So she does the same thing for me. And uh, it's worked like clockwork, guys. Uh, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't steer you wrong. I'm, I'm sure of it. Yeah, I think that's a great tip, man. I, I This is David. I, I did have a question. Um, so one of the things that kind of, I guess, concerns me a little bit is some of the, the risks, you know, from a... Uh, you know, what happens if somebody sues me, like something, something bad happens to the property. Is there anything that you do to protect yourself or that anybody that owns real estate should do to make sure that, um, they don't, they don't end on a bad and the bad side of a situation? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's twofold situation. You always protect yourself with an LLC. Uh, I would never individually own any rental property, not even if I own just one. Uh, just the protection of the LLC is enough in of itself, but also suggest a general liability policy. Uh, talk to your uh, insurance agent, see what they suggest. Um, I always talk to a professional about that, but I would definitely make sure that there's some kind of general liability policy just covering you in, in case anything happens. One thing that would, one question that I have, one thing that would scare me is the idea of people, you know, just not paying rent. And like, let's say something like COVID happens and people can't pay rent and they're not paying rent for months. How do you approach or avoid situations like that? Well, one, you don't live in Canada. Uh, two, I, I think, um, you know, I, I never had any issue with it. So while we are here, um, in Southern America, man, everybody kind of just is stand up about it. So out of my 20, 22 units I've had during COVID, I had one not pay. Uh, it wasn't COVID related. Uh, I inherited him from the previous owner and, uh, frankly, he was a tool and she didn't want to pay. So, um, there was no evictions at the time, but there were still evictions allowed for, uh, repairs. So, you know what? I needed to repair his unit. Uh, so I wasn't able to recoup any money lost, but uh, I was able to get him out and um, he was able to go somewhere else. So during all of COVID, knock on wood, uh, thanks to my renters, fantastic ones, uh, everybody paid but one. But that's where I, I think you making sure that you have good tenants, you be good to your tenants. 
Uh, I'm a big believer in treating others fairly. So if somebody needs to be late, as long as they're not ducking me and talking to me about it, I'm completely okay with it. I'm always there trying to make their lives better. Um, but in turn, um, I, I expect the same thing back. So didn't have any of that issue, but I think that is a combo of good tenants and uh, being in rural America where most people are stand-up uh, stand people. I had a few related questions come in, Shadow, and actually these questions are from F.I. Squirrel, who sent them through DMs. On a related note, listeners, if you have any questions for Shadow or any of us, feel free to send us messages in the DMs, and we'll, we'll ask your questions here. So the F.I. Squirrel, Shadow, he asked, how often do you assess whether to raise rents or not? And did COVID affect your demand for occupancy and the rates that you charged? And then a final question, have you ever lowered rent to attract tenants in? All right, guys. I can't do three at once. So let's go back to question one. What was sure, question sure. one? Question one was, how often do you assess raising rents? Gotcha. Anytime it goes empty, I'm, I'm assessing that. So I will not raise a rent on a tenant ever um, because, let me say this back. I would never raise rent on a good tenant. If someone's always on time, never bothering me, I'm not raising a rent because that peace of mind to me is worth more than getting 20 extra bucks a month. So if I got a solid renter, never raising it. But anytime somebody pops out, I'm assessing uh, raising that rent. And what I always suggest is um, when you're checking the market, you're looking for comparable size units. So if you have a two-bedroom, one-bath, you're looking at other two-bedroom, one-baths uh, in the area. Your offsetting prices, which will make yours a little bit different, is the amenities and location. And just take that into account, right? So if the other one has a carport, you don't. Carport should be a little bit more. If it has an outbuilding and yours don't, I would think the outbuilding should be a little bit more. Um, so always worry about amenities and location. But here's something I would always recommend is setting your prices about 10% above what your competitors are. And people are probably screaming now saying, how are you getting that full? Well, what you're doing is you're kind of turning away your lower tier renters. Uh, I'm not section eighting. I'm not hutting. I want good quality tenants because this is a business. I, I, this isn't a charity for me, and, and you can call me a terrible person if you want for it. But I'm, I'm here to make money off of it, and part of that making money is making sure that we're not having any issues, wear and tear, uh, holes knocked in the wall. So I actually price my units about 10% above market. It's cutting down a little bit on the number of applicants, but I've noticed my applicants are always more solid that way. And I think the next question was about applicants and has COVID affected the number of applicants? Was that kind of right? Yeah, exactly. Did it change your demand for, for occupancy? No. And, and I'm going to say that with I don't think so because most of my units are always full and I've never had a unit set open more than four to six weeks unless it was my fault with me being slow with repairs. So I've never had an issue of one setting open and during COVID I didn't either. I would probably say that I don't think much changed at all in regards to that. Now, I know since COVID the house buying market has changed, but but I haven't seen a change in rent in uh, rental market. Thanks, Shadow. Yeah, FI FI Squirrel actually agreed in the DMs and said they follow a very similar strategy. I know the Squirrel is a has some real estate up in Canada, and we're actually talking about it this week on the Best Interest Podcast. So you folks can stay tuned for that dropping probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, I have a couple other questions here in the DMs, but before we get to them, I just want to go around the room. Do you guys have any any thoughts to add into kind of the last ten minutes or so of of Shadow Strategies? Crickets. Not. Yeah, I can certainly continue with questions, and uh, and yeah, if you guys get questions in your DMs or Brandon, if we get any microphone requests, feel free to cut me off. 
Um, the first one that came in, and I know you've mentioned it before, Shadow. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is from Alexander, who asked, if you have a dedicated lawyer or a dedicated accountant or any sort of dedicated staff, or if it's all just one-off consulting work. Yeah, so this is a great place to talk about uh, scaling. And I know we mentioned it earlier. So uh, I the only way to scale properly with um, properties and property management and real estate investing is to build a team. So from the very beginning, find your team. Now that team doesn't need to be solely yours. You can have your HVAC guy who does his own stuff, but you always call him, right? You can have your uh, an electrician that, that owns their own business, but you always call them. So I call those independent contractors still your team because they're your go-to. So from the very beginning, build your team. You're going to need your lawyer. You're going to need your accountant. You're going to need an HVAC guy, an electric guy, plumbing guy, general handyman guy or gal. Let, let's, uh, let's be fair here. So uh, build your team from the very beginning, and even your property manager, uh, whenever that time comes that you need one of those. It's all about surrounding yourself with the right people, right? I don't know everything about real estate, and I never will. Frankly, I don't even think I know a lot, but I surround myself with people that do. And, and I think that's how the, the greatest business guys in the world do it, is just putting the, uh, the right teams around them. So look for... Uh, an HVAC guy, an electric guy that, that you can trust. Now, it doesn't matter if they're the cheapest in the area. What you need to find is somebody that's going to be on your team willing to work with you. Same thing with a banker. Uh, find your banker. And I'm a big believer in small town banks. Um, you're not going to get any breaks from Fifth Third. You're not going to get any breaks, uh, banks from these big national brands. Go to your town. Find your mom and pop banks, your small town America banks, and befriend a lender there. That will be one of your biggest saving graces, biggest cheat code you got in your pocket is building that team with the right people. Um, so do that from the very beginning. Uh, you need a you need a banker on your team, a lawyer, even a real estate agent on your team. I know a lot of real estate investors are agents themselves, but uh, to me, it's not worth the time. I, I got a, a guy on my team who anytime something comes up that fits my unique set of rules for properties I'm looking for, he's calling me the day it's listed. So I don't have to worry about looking every night. I still do because it's a hobby of mine is to look for properties like every night before bed. But I, I know um, he's got my back when, when I, uh, he sees something himself. Did that even answer the question? Yeah, I, th I think you answered the question, Shadow. <laughs> my bad. Little little tangent there. No, all good, all good. Well, you mentioned right there. So you mentioned uh, a lo your local banker. You mentioned your community banker. Yeah. So that so, so brings up a good question. Go on. Yeah. Can I just ask? So how how much do you generally borrow per purchase? And even if you had the cash to make these purchases, which I believe you do from from knowing your story, do you still <laughs> choose to lend? And and you know, do you? Choose yeah, absolutely, man. Home? Other people's yeah. money, right? So. If I'm putting 10, 15, 20% down, depending on the deal. Uh, people get a little butt hurt about me saying I'm putting 10% down on some of these deals, but it's true. It's uh, that, that local bank relationship I got. So I'm borrowing other people's money and I will do it forever. Um, banks uh, are giving me, you know, that 80 to 90% and I'm doing that on every one of them. There's no point in me spending all my money when I can leverage it. So I'm a big believer in that. Um, with that being said, um, two things about building your team I didn't mention. When you're looking for a, a lawyer on your team, look for one that's close to your age, right? Or even younger. You don't want to get 10 years into this and your lawyer retire and have to build a whole new relationship. Find somebody who's close to your age so you can build together. I found mine when I was uh, 30. And uh, he's my age, went to school together. He graduated, moved back to town, and uh, we work well together. Um, I'm helping build him. He's helping build me. Um, as for your local banks, your local civic clubs is the best place to build those relationships. You can go into banks and shake hands and build that relationship with the banker. But um, finding your bankers at local clubs and giving back to your community together is one of the best ways to build those relationships. Um, it, it's not as exploitational as it sounds, but um, that, that's where you need to go to build those relationships.
Jesse lost speaking privilege somehow. I just invited him back. Host got booted. Shadow, I, maybe this is like probably kind of a basic thing, but for anybody looking at um, buying a rental property, are there any uh, metrics that you look at from a financial standpoint to, to kind of rule out a property or, or, or target? 100%, 100%, David. So I live and die by the 1% rule. Uh, it, it's not a secret in the real estate area. And what that says is that I will not buy a property unless it rents monthly for 1% or more of the purchase price. So if I'm buying a $50,000 house, it has to rent for 500 or more. If I'm buying a $60,000 house, it has to rent for 600 or more. Uh, and, and that is taking into account the repairs when you buy as well. So if you're buying a $40,000 house and putting 20 into it, you're still all in at 60. So it still needs a rent for 600 a month. Uh, that is the metric I live and die by. Um, cap rates, all these, this other, uh, these other terms and metrics, uh, I frankly don't use. It is the 1% rule. And uh, I'm, I'm adding up my costs, uh, expenses, if I'm looking, what those expenses will be a month, and then what the mortgage is a month. And if those all make sense to me, uh, I'm in. And uh, that 1% rule is really the make or break for me. Uh, if it doesn't hit that, I don't even look. Does hey, that make guys. sense, David? Oh, go ahead, Shadow. No, I was just I'm, asking I, David if that made yeah. sense to him. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think um, for, for me in my area, I, I do. Uh, I have been looking at cap rates a little bit, but that's just because property taxes are kind of high. Um, right. So, so I mean, it, it, some some of the properties do meet the one percent rule, but then I look at property taxes, and it kind of it takes me to where I'm not as profitable as I'd want to be. You know, I'm trying to. And maybe I'm being too picky and like my margin of safety and my, and my cash flow, but um, I'm trying to make sure I don't lose my shirt in my first one. I think I, I want to continue to do it. I don't want to make my wife mad <laughs> by by sinking a whole bunch of extra money into something. So yeah, so this might be a good place to to, to mention though that I am a big believer in uh, just purchasing one property is really risky. And, and the issue is if you own one property, hot water tank explodes, someone starts cooking meth, roof falls in, that one property then isn't cash flowing and you're sitting there with the mortgage and the expenses with no one paying for it. But if you start with two to four units, it's a little bit of a safety net to make sure that if one's roof falls in, you have the other two to three that are paying those bills. So you're never in the red really. Um, so, and, and, and the cool part about it is, is just for round hole numbers, we'll say one unit takes two hours a month to, um, you know, do all the maintenance work and the paperwork for, well, you don't multiply that for every unit you get, right? So 20 units isn't 40 hours a month. It actually gets less with each unit you add. So if you have one unit that takes two hours a month uh, to do the work, four units is really maybe two hours and 15 minutes. So just for the little bit of extra work, the amount of cushion that you're getting just as a safety net for yourself uh, is, is exponential uh, in, in comparisons is just having one. So if you're able, I would never suggest starting with one unit, start with two to four. Got a few things, few thoughts for you, Shadow. Uh, first one, sorry if I, I know my, my audio dropped off. I had a call on the other line from Robert Kiyosaki. I had to take that. Tell him I said he's a tool. Second thought, so I told him, I told him that, Shadow. Uh, second thought, I just want to give a shout out to a few of our team members here who are currently tweeting about Bitcoin, Shadow's favorite investment. Appreciate that. Wait, you're telling me somebody on our team's not listening and tweeting about Bitcoin? <laughs> Andy? God. <laughs> and finally, the price is going nuts. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> wait, wait. So you're looking at houses driving on here with us and tweeting about Bitcoin. Am I understanding that correctly? You are correct. Yeah, you're correct. a god amongst men, my friend. <laughs> we did 
We did shout out. We have a, a great question, I think, here in the DMs. Uh, this one's from Curtis. So his first question is, why do you focus so much on rural shadow? And imagine shadow, we, we transplant you and we put you in a city where in the city proper, you have options to invest, or you could go 10 minutes out to the suburbs, or you could go 30 minutes out to where it is rural. I would go 30 minutes out every time. So competition is a lot less, right? A lot less investors there. Um, Inside city limits is hot market. Um, And frankly, a lot of those properties aren't going to hit the 1% rule. It's going to be tough in downtown New York to find anything that's going to fall that 1% rule. Austin, Houston, any of these cities, that 1% rule is never going to happen. But if you go 30 minutes outside of town, you're going to be able to positively cash flow. So in a nutshell, less competition, more money for me. Gotcha. And, and a, a somewhat of a follow-up, you talked about starting with two to four units. And this is, again, this is a good question coming in from Curtis. So if I had to start day one with, say, three units, it moves my timeline back because I don't have the cash right now to invest in three units. I would need to wait. So... I could start today with no, one. No, no, no. Curtis, you are wrong, my friend. <laughs> I got a trick for you. It's called land contracts, or um, it can be called owner financing. There's all kinds of terms for it. So let me tell you how I got started. I had three single-family homes come to me in a package deal. They were getting ready to be put on the market. I found the guy who owned them and said, listen, instead of me giving the money to the bank, let me give money to you, pay you interest over 20 years. I don't. I know you don't need the money now. So instead of me giving you 120000 for these three houses now, let me pay you with 4% interest for the next 20 years. And you're going to have monthly income like you're renting, but without the headache. And you're going to end up making 180000 instead of 120 on this. And if I default, they all come back to you free and clear. There's literally no risk for the owner. So as long as the owner's not hard up for the money right now, owner financing or land contracts are a killer way to get in with nothing down. I started I started cash flowing about $700 a month after my first deal with not a single dollar out of pocket. Um, these agreements are recorded at the courthouse just like a normal deed. It is legal, written up by a lawyer. And uh, he can never take them from me as long as I'm paying on time. These are my homes. Instead of paying the bank, I'm paying the owner with nothing out of pocket. So don't tell me that it's putting you behind because it's not, my friend. You're you're paying. You you just said you're paying the owner, but I just want to make sure you're paying the ex owner because you're now. Hey, my friend, you are correct. I'm paying the previous owner who is acting as the bank for the properties that I now own. Right. Right. And that was a, a land contract? L A N D contract or owner financing. Look it up. Uh, it's just no different than you getting a mortgage from the bank, but the banker is the previous owner. There's no, uh, sometimes they require money down, but again, there's no bank involved. You guys get to make the rules. As long as you and the owner agree, rules don't matter. I mean, you could trade chickens for it if you wanted, right? So as long as you and the owner are happy with the terms, no banks are involved. You guys can do what you want. So I got 120000 for three homes at 4% interest, fixed for 20 years, nothing down. I'm paying like 600 and some change a month, cash flowing positively 750 a month. Frankly, making money hand over fist for a little bit of work on my very first deal. Gotcha. Now, Let's- these will be harder to find, but if you put in the work, you can do this today. What do you other guys around the room think about that idea? Would you be willing to take on that risk? I mean, I don't know if it's a lot of a risk from uh, from your standpoint as a as the buyer. It's not any more than uh, than otherwise. Now, I'd be willing to maybe pay a little bit more, a higher interest rate, if I didn't have to put anything down. So I think that that's a really interesting idea. I just how how, how would you recommend like going to approach somebody? You know, do you just call them and say, hey, would you would you want to sell your property? Do you present terms? Like what, what what advice would you give somebody that wants to? Yes. So, you know, the script normally goes like, you know, hey, I'm interested in your property. I see they're for sale. Would you be interested in financing those as as the owner to me? Um, 
you just got to make sure somebody's not hard up for the money. If they're selling it to, to get out from under it because they need the money now, it's not going to happen. But if it's somebody who maybe is just tired of the rental game or somebody who doesn't really need the money now and just kind of wants out of the business, it's the way to go. So just make sure they're not hard up for the money now. Uh, and uh, it's as simple as, as an ask, right? Um, as, as business guys, I think we need to get comfortable with asking. The worst thing that can happen is no, right? So I'm um, always asking, and I ask frequently. Um, now, I've only had that first deal, um, but I still ask. Uh, even if they will agree to it sometimes now, um, I, I still will just go with my bank sometimes just because of that great relationship with the bank, and I know I won't get screwed by them. I know I won't have issues. Uh, and, and again, as I talk about building your team, if you have a bank that you bank with, that you build a relationship with, and they finance the couple of units, uh, if you shop around at first, that's fair. But after a certain point, I think that relationship's more important than shopping around. So um, I don't even call any other banks anymore. If there's a property I want, I'm calling this one bank, one bank only. I'm actually texting the president of the bank, telling him what I need. Usually I'm in an office next day, and we're making that deal. So that relationship to me is more important than that half a percent of interest rate that I might be getting elsewhere. And that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. So, so you would recommend for that somebody's selling, somebody who's selling a property already, like not not cold approaching somebody that just owns the property, but somebody selling a property already, going ahead and asking them if they'd be willing to to do that. I, I'd ask on any deal, right? So it's it's not going to hurt, and there's literally no downside to it. So any property you're interested in, uh, I would go ahead and ask. But, but, but make sure you have that lawyer on your team that can draw that contract up appropriately to protect you as the buyer. On the topic of financing, I had a question. Have you found, you know, building that initial relationship with the banks, did you find that it was tricky to do as an investor? Because I know sometimes banks will give real estate investors a hard time as opposed to somebody buying a house for themselves. So I use this bank personally for a while first. Um, I also rubbed shoulders with the president of the bank in local civic organizations. So we had that relationship. Uh, I told him what I wanted to do um, from the beginning and, you know, we worked through it together. So for me, I didn't have any issue with it. Now, a lot of my loans are uh, adjustable. Um, you know, there are certain rules to them. They can't go up over a certain percentage over the whole time, more than X amount of percent every time. But um, most of them are all fixed for the first five years, and then we're refinancing after that. But um, it's it's all about who you know and how you know them. Uh, so, no, I don't have any issues, and um, they don't give me any issues with it. It's just, it's just a good relationship that we built really together on serving the community. Shadow, here's a question that came in from the DMs. This is from Alexander again. Now that you kind of have your business going, it seems unlikely that you might take on or work with a partner, an investing partner. But when you were starting out, or if you had to start out again, do you see any benefit in partnering up with someone else to maybe reduce your personal risk or your personal financial burden? I do. And, and frankly, it was just my ignorance from the beginning. I, I didn't know you, know, you could have somebody front that money for you it was i was naive and, and a young guy getting in it without knowing all the ins and outs of it i had a mentor but um he never used other people's money either it was always banks so it was just something i was unfamiliar with but uh, i'm a big fan in using other people's money um so anybody that get a chance to um definitely do that and uh definitely get a mentor in this game uh, i suggest it to everybody um any business that you go in Find a mentor, find a coach. If you can't get a free mentor, pay a coach. Uh, it's worth it. I had a mentor for two years in the game. Uh, I offer coaching now uh, on, on through Twitter as well, so, so reach out to me if you're interested in that. Uh, but 30-day coaching, uh, it's amazing. It's life-changing. But uh, I had a mentor for two years, and uh, I, I would not recommend getting in this game without somebody who knew it before you because there are way too many uh, ways to get yourself caught up. That's an excellent answer. Going around the room, anybody else 
<clears throat> Excuse me. Anybody else have any thoughts for Shadow or, or listeners? If you have any questions, feel free to send it to us in the DMs. We probably have about roughly 10 minutes left. I, th- I think we can probably go a little over if needed, but we're coming up on the top of the hour. Hey, Jesse, can I interject and just ask uh, our, our little group of dudes what their thoughts on real estate investing is as a whole and if any of them have any desire to get into it? I, I know uh, David said he has, but I, I'd like to hear from the other ones. Brandon, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I live in Toronto. So I think that basically says a lot of it. I know I love the idea of like my, my first hurdle is getting a property for myself to live in. That's where my head's at. Um, I'm not opposed to the idea of, of investing in real estate. But Are you opposed to moving to Kentucky? Not, I can get you ass. I mean, I, I'm tempted by some of the prices. We'll go shoot guns and rod some hogs, dude. <laughs> I'm tempted by some of the prices because, it, yeah, it's like paying 50 grand for a house. It's like, that would be a dream. Why don't you share with what the prices so, are in, in that area currently? So the average house price, detached house price is a million. Um, townhouses are easily 100,000. So that's sort of what I'm working that's with. wild. Yeah. Uh, Andy, you looking at any rental properties? Uh, we're looking at, um, at some point getting a second place that we would move into that has more room. And then our primary house, which, uh, is very close to downtown Austin, about a mile from downtown. We would then, uh, do short-term rental Airbnb. Uh, but that's kind of all that we're looking at anytime soon. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty full force into those uh, those fake internet dollars, and then that once I've realized assets. once I've realized uh, those gains, I might diversify into some slower paced uh, gains, <laughs> like with real estate. <laughs> hey, tell us what the the uh, prices are in your area. Well, um, an eighteen hundred square foot uh, house, two doors down from us, that has a very nice uh, garage apartment. And a uh, tiny pool, um, like a six foot by uh, six foot, like little wading pool in, in ground, uh, just sold for, well, it was listed for $1.75 million. So who knows what it sold for? Because Austin, the uh, minimum is 100000 over asking right now. Listen, guys, you might think that I'm the money man of this group. I got nothing on Andy. <laughs> well, I don't know. Net, net worth says differently there, Shadow. <laughs> Touche. Uh, so we, we know Dave. Dave's looking. Dave, do you want to add any more thoughts to, to what you're looking at? I know you, you went into detail before a little bit. Yeah, and maybe your area and prices as well, David. Yeah, so I'm in the central Ohio area. Um, so the, the market's pretty hot right now. So so my like uh, just to give you a, an idea on my personal property, we bought it 10 years ago for about 180 um about a month ago it was worth like 525 according to zillow so it's gone crazy you know three it's about 300 dollars a square foot in a lot of our area i've i've looked um outside of the main city some um the houses i was actually driving around today are kind of in a, a working class area it's not um the main city school system but it's kind of the the next tier up from that so i'm looking to try to find something that would um qualify that one percent rule um where i would you know probably make a gross profit of a few hundred dollars a month a net profit of about 200 i'd be happy with <laughs> accounting for like you know uh, capital expenditures and uh, repairs and stuff like that um so that's seems kinda, feasible man seems like a great yeah. uh, numbers over there yeah yeah so i mean if I, like the one i looked at today was like listed at 168 i think i could probably I hadn't really looked at this area a whole lot before. Um, it was, it's listed at 168. I think I could probably run it out at about 1850 a month pretty easily. Um, so I mean, I, I think that, and I would actually cash flow close to $300 a month. And this is for, for me too. So you know, I'm, a, I'm big about using leverage. Um, since my house price has gone up, my primary home has gone up so much. I only owe. Uh, I took out a little bit of money to do a renovation on my house. I only owe about 172 on it. I have a hundred thousand dollar 
HELOC that's available to me. <clears throat> so I'm still very comfortable with, you know, still pretty low within leverage-wise from what my house is worth. But using that to put down for the down payment, um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. The, and that's part of what's playing, <clears throat> playing into my numbers too, is I want to be able to finance all of it uh, and continue to work, have all of the rest of my money working for me in other places. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. But, you know, Shadow, one of the things I've been curious to hear your ideas on those, like, so let's say somebody is in, you know, we have somebody that's in Austin, Andy, and Brandon's in Toronto, and, um, you know, I, Adam's in Reno, which I don't know what uh, real estate prices are like there, but what, and Jesse's in, in, in an area that's not super expensive too, he's in, in Rochester, I don't think it's that pricey. For somebody that isn't a pricey area, like, what options do they have, you know, if, like, crowdfunding or loan to partnerships or something like that. Is there yeah. anything? So, so if, you, if you're going to price the area, my answer would be move. <laughs> my second answer would be work outside of that area. Um, but, you know, if, if we're looking into other ways, I mean, there's definitely other ways to get into real estate without having properties. Right. And that's something we could have hit on, but I think we're kind of run out of time, but there are um, crowdfunding websites to get into real estate that takes the daily operations out of you or out of your hand, which makes it a little bit easier for you. So basically you're just a limited partner uh, on a, a real estate investment property. Um, REITs uh, and, and you stock market guys uh, can definitely hit on that if you feel it necessary. There's a lot of ways to get into the game without having your, your hand in it if you're in a high cost area. But if I had to get a simple answer, it would be move or look out of your area because um, it, it's hard to beat the the asset that's real estate. The, 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 uh, the finite number of properties, the almost always appreciation of the asset um, the, the cash flowing side of it, it, it's hard to beat. So, uh, I'm a big believer in it. One question I wanted to sneak in, um, of curiosity, what does the rest of your portfolio look like? like? Do you invest in stocks or anything? Yeah, of course. I invest in everything except fake stuff like Bitcoin and those other pirate coins that, uh, my little friend Andy deals with, um, and, uh, and a lot of you guys are in crypto, right? So crypto is something that I steer clear of, but I do invest in most everything else. Um, you know, I invest in some businesses, I invest in the market, um, I invest in, in real estate. So I, I dabble in a lot, but something that I've steered cleared of uh, so far is crypto. And uh, on our call about crypto a few weeks back, um, I, I just expressed my concern of the, that it's not really a, a finite hold in your hand tangible asset and uh, I'm missing out on a lot and uh, Andy tells me a lot and, and I know that I'm missing out on huge gains and I'm not exposing myself to it at all and shame on me for doing that but I'm buying things that I can touch and I'm more comfortable with that. Going back to the uh, the rental property question, Shadow, Adam, why don't, why don't you talk a little bit? What what is the real estate market like out in Reno? Is that something you're interested in getting into? Yeah, I mean, probably down the road. We're, I'm kind of in the same situation as Brandon. Want to get the our primary first, but I I was actually going on the old Google machine and looking up some numbers for what Reno is doing. We're we, we're get, kind of getting hit because we have a lot of people from California that are hopping. Across the state border and coming into Nevada, so the commies are coming. <laughs> but so, like in Reno in particular, like I'm looking at Redfin and like the median price of a home sale was five fifteen in Reno, um, which I think is pretty crazy. They're doing a ton of building up here, so I know that you know they're trying to catch up in that regard. But just for kind of example uh, purposes, like my parents bought a house in the southern part of Reno. That would have been in 2018 they purchased the house and they bought it, or 2019, sorry, January 2019 for 480. And on Zillow, I'm not sure how accurate those numbers are, but right now it's showing that the home price is 670. So it's gone up almost 200,000 since uh, January 2019. But the one thing we do have kind of that's similar to Kentucky is there's a ton of rural area, you know, outside of Vegas and Reno, there's not a whole lot in the state. But um, just looking at some of those numbers and factoring, you know, the 1% rule Shadow is talking like it's uh, talking about, I don't think that many of those would reach that quota. 
Now, honestly, I haven't done a ton of research into it, just been kind of digging around. But um, yeah, I, I mean, rentals in the future, for sure. I think that that's going to be a route my wife and I will go, but um, we got to got to get the primary taken care of first. Yeah, I feel your pain a little bit on, you know, you mentioned people from California coming in. Uh, like Dave mentioned, Rochester, New York is a relatively depressed real estate market. But in the last six or 10 months, it's actually been one of the hottest markets in the country. And a lot of that is uh, due to COVID, people from certain urban centers, New York City being the main one, returning to Rochester. Say they grew up here. They've lived in New York City for the last 15 years making those Wall Street bucks and they can buy a 2,000 square foot home on Long Island for three quarters of a million dollars or they can buy it in the nicest school district in Rochester for $300,000 or $400,000. So a lot of people are coming back to Rochester, uh, low supply, high demand, prices are through the roof, at least for our, for our standards. Everything's going for over asking. What are the actual prices? So out in my neighborhood, which is relatively blue collar, uh, it's like maybe 100 to 150 per square foot. In the nicer neighborhoods, the nicer suburban neighborhoods, you're looking more at like 200 to 250 per square foot. And yeah, everything's going for over asking. Um, personally, we live in a little starter home that I'm hoping to hold on to when we eventually move out and rent this thing out. But uh, that probably won't happen for another two years, would be my guess. But we'll see what happens. I might have one more question in the DMs. But, um, oh, real estate development tweeted the end me from Buffalo. Let's go, Bills. Bills Mafia all the way. I don't know if you guys like other NFL teams, but listen. Buffalo Bills, uh, pretty much the best. So, Hey, guys, my mom's calling. We need to cut this off. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, any any last-minute questions that are more important than Shadow's mom? I can't believe there are, but uh, I'll give you guys the floor is yours. My mom says hi, Andy. Specifically to me? I mean, it was a joke, but yeah, you kind of ruined it. <laughs> oh, I felt honored for a second there. Now you ruined it. Shadow, Shadow's mom is big into Bitcoin. She's big into Andy. She's my favorite subscriber. Oh, ouch. Guys, let's wrap this up. Uh, to the listeners who've been here the whole time, uh, I see you. Uh, I appreciate you. And uh, have a good night, guys. Thanks, Shadow. This was a great episode. Learned a lot from you, my man. Thank you, everybody, for listening. See ya. All right, you guys. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Moolala. Yeah, yeah.